Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of even though there's a biological holocaust going on, all we want to do is talk about gaming. And Jonathan is with us in the chat, but he's not on the call this evening. So it is Bruce and I that are going to be doing this. Yes. Uh-oh. Yep, uh, we are, liquidation is a pain, says uh, Jonathan. Well, you know, at least you have a job, so stop complaining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, remember, yeah. he says, you know, uh, just put aside all those special things that you wanted for a really good price, and now you can finally get them. It's a really good time to be shopping. <laughs> Prices are good. All right, so tonight we are talking about uh, a tri-tac game that was released, oh my gosh, like, you know, in the 80s. Uh, I can't remember exactly when it was released. Um, and it was, uh, it, it is Rogue 417. Now, this was, uh, according to uh, what Richard says in it, it was originally supposed to be a campaign uh, setting for Morrow Project. But it was lost. And it was finally found in like some backup somewhere, and re and he took it then and decided to release it as a supplement to Fringeworthy, which is why there's going to be some references to things like that in it. But originally, it was supposed to be a post-apocalyptic um, adventure that took place on our world, but any alternate Earth that's similar to ours is is quite possible. And uh, we'll be going through it. So we are going to be talking about that and its similarities to the current uh, uh, coronavirus. And uh, But mostly we're talking uh, going to be talking about it as a possible campaign supplement, not supplement, I'm sorry, a campaign setting for your game. And, okay, teachers, last light of modern education and hope these survivors are determined to prevent the return of ignorance and superstition that will lead to a new dark age. Many have reestablished one-room schoolhouses for the education of survivor children. Many teachers also serve as librarians who are collecting books and maintaining information libraries for any who wish to learn. Rumors tell of a large number of educators who have taken over a major university in the Midwest and are going to reopen it. They hope many survivors will migrate to this community to farm, manufacture, and regain a little normalcy. Most teachers are respected by the community, though they are disliked and feared by their students. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that teacher's rough, man. She, yeah, yeah. But remember, the number one thing that that the teachers are going to teach are survival skills. Yeah, they're going to teach stuff that's relevant. But I mean, I don't mean just like okay, how to you know how to do first aid, how to you know, uh, uh, I don't know, skin skin an animal. I'm talking about basic trades 
teachers are probably going to specialize in, okay, I, in, during the morning, I teach you about the world and about how to read and how to write and how to draw and things like that. But then in the afternoon, I'm teaching a skill. I'm teaching how to weave. I'm teaching how to, uh, you know, make, you know, do basic carpentry. I'm teaching how to uh, possibly uh, keep a, you know, uh, do some kind of mechanical repair. Uh, you know, how to farm, how to recognize dangerous plants and animals. I mean, those are yes. all things that people who are teachers, they're, they're going to have to, there's going to have to be a very strong practical side, but then they're also going to want to, to not have them turn into a bunch of wild savages. They want these children to grow up to be people. So they're going to talk about ethics. They're going to talk about, you know, the history of the world. They'll bring up things like philosophy and ethics. I mean, but also the culture of the people that we're talking about. You just talk, talked about how you got to play foreigners right. Well, the demographics of the area are also going to inform the cultural information that these teachers are going to pass along. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the teachers, as I said, they, they, they want to be like, they're going to be librarians too. And he said, major university in the Midwest, this is rich. We know it was probably U of M or what have you that, that would that he had in mind because you know he's he's a local like I am. He's from here, southeastern Michigan. So yeah, it it and I'm reminded of Rifts and the community of New Laszlo, which was the unearthed University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And so yeah, um yeah, the teachers they would as I said, they they would have to pick and choose the skills. You're not really going to learn about French poetry. That's not something that's really needed in a post-apocalyptic society. That's not going to put food on your table and, you know, put a roof over your head. So they are going to pick their, choose their stuff. Sadly, I mean, they'll, they'll save all books and information material. But for now, these are the things they're going to, they have to prioritize what they're going to be specializing in. And they will be very protected by the mechs and the gunsmiths and meds because they're right up there. It's all the, the science behind the technology that they're protecting. The teachers are protecting. Okay. That that's a breakdown of all of the, the groups, the indigenous groups. Right now, if, if you've read Heinlein's farmhand freehold uh, at the end of it, uh, they're in basically post-apocalyptic uh, America after a nuclear war. And one of the things that they have on their sign is books are, are the same as cash. Oh, yeah. If, you, if you're walking along and you find, you know, you're searching around and you find yourself a cookbook or you find yourself a, a book of poems or you find, um, I don't know, uh, any, really, any kind of book that might be unusual—not your like your, you know, none of your classic pot boilers novels, but something that actually might have some culture to it or whatever—that book is valuable, and you should take care of it. And because someone's going to want to buy it from you. During my vacation recently, Fur took me to, and this, if you're in Detroit, you know this bookstore, John King. It is a four-story used bookstore in downtown Detroit on Lafayette. 
And oh no, this place, if you are, and what is the term, person who loves books? Bibliophile. There will be pigs in slop that will be jealous of you. I went in there and just, oh no, it was like, and go. And you've got four whole levels to this place. They have so many books, they had to put another one in a, in a, a northern suburb, Ferndale. But yeah, um, books as currency would be a very good idea. I remember, what was it? Oh God, another Riff's book. Riff's Black Market. They had a list of, okay, depending on the book or you know the information medium with something, like, yeah, if you have a book of poetry, it might be 1D600 credits. But if it's like a Chilton's Guide, those of you who don't know what Chilton's Guides are, they are the how-to manuals and they go by make and model. You might have like a Chilton's Guide for, oh, 1996 to 2000 Chrysler Concords. That's a Chilton's Guide. You can get them at most like Myers, And of course, you know, we sell them at Napa, you know, I'm going to plug the company that puts food on my table. But yeah, so these Chilton guides, that one would be like 1D10 times 10,000 credits because it is a much more relevant and needed book than a book on, again, French poetry. It's nice. It's a book. Yes, we'll take it. Oh, you have a computer, you know, a, a, a computer manual on how to maintain, oh, IBM computers from like 1993. Okay, that'll be like, you know, 1D8 times 1,000 credits. So it just depends on how relevant the book is. And again, like my former stepfather-in-law said when he went to the Columbus flea market, and he was a, a massive pop culture collector, something is only worth as much as whatever idiot's willing to pay for it. So <laughs> if you find the right market, you'll make up, you know, like a bandit, but that this is not taking place in the 80s, okay? This is taking place in, in modern day. Therefore, yeah. uh, computers are everywhere. And as long as the anti-techies yes. don't get their hands on them to destroy them, they're going to be the primary way that teachers are going to be able to maintain information. I mean, if I had a computer and a scanner that worked in a power source, I would be scanning in every valuable book I could get my hands on just so you know I had something a transportable and b you know some uh, to pr to protect it to maintain it. Bruce, there's something um, online books. Um, crap, I'm blanking. The Gutenberg Project. That's what it was, where people are just scan. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. You're familiar with it. where just people are scanning books and they're there and you can go to it. And yeah, basically these people would be making a new Gutenberg project. Okay. We are scanning these books, committing to memory. So if the books are destroyed. We still have a semblance of them with the information there. Yeah. Because if you had a bunch of laptops, for example, and they worked and you had like six children at that point, all right, because the rest of them had died. All right, you could give, you could take the same book that now it's been scanned and put it on all six computers because what we don't have right now are printing presses. Yeah, we don't even have zip, we don't even have uh, uh, mimeograph machines anymore because nobody has the the chemicals for it in the in the in the stencils. So yep. the only thing we have are printers and computers and. You know, maybe there's a shop in town that has an offset press in it. 
but mostly people are either going to be would be either writing it down or they're going to be typing it out on a computer as long as there's power and they're going to be printing it out. Now, one thing we do have now, because it is the modern day, is there's going to be a lot of solar panels around. And that's something that Richard doesn't talk about in his book. Is the, And so, therefore, being able to provide a minimum amount of power for essential things like computers and other things means that you're going to be able to leverage what remains of technology until either until it fades away or until we're able to you know find an equilibrium of technology that we can maintain and it's not clear at all how far down we're going to go before we start going back up again jonathan um posted two things one Teacher, don't eat that berry unless you have a toilet paper factory nearby. Yeah, don't don't just start it on the whole toilet paper thing, folks. Just <laughs> and another one: a lot of retail stores like Walmart will probably have a still a rich stockpile of electronics, assuming anti-techies haven't gotten in them first. Oh no, no, you know, as soon as all of the you know, as soon as the <clears throat> how can I put this as delicately and podcast safe as possible. As soon as the fecal matter hits the oscillator, yeah, then you know that a lot of stores are just going to get... I mean, if you think, folks, again, this is as of March 18th, 2020, if you think how the stores have gotten now, it, yeah, it's just going to be mass pandemonium. And so if you can find electronics and and see solar panels you can't just go to you know aco and make a solar panel that it doesn't work like that you need specialized photovoltaic technology in order to do this so yeah a, a solar farm would be an incredible find that would be one of those things that like any smart survivalist would have that under lock and key under constant armed guard that would be something that would be incredibly hoarded and controlled would be a solar farm and then from there they just run everything it's like okay you know you want you want to be able to do your little printing press thing to preserve fine you give us tribute yeah you may be training some people but we want some of them you're going to give them over as soldiers so we can protect this or you have a farm there with that place fine you're going to give us some and we'll let you use you know we'll let you hook up an extension cord you know even though I think that biodiesel is going to be the way that they eventually go, it's going to be a while before they can afford to take things like corn and turn it into fuel. It needs to go into people's bellies. Oh, no, corn. Oh, no, corn. You're not going to know. They no. Well, remember, biodiesel, you can use you, you go behind a restaurant and get grease trap. Yeah, but the people who do that are already doing that. Well, yeah, but I mean... There's not vast supplies of it. Well, yeah, but corn, there ain't no way that... Because um, we now... Corn is a massively grown crop in this country because people are subsidized to grow the corn for the purposes of high fructose corn syrup, ethanol. And Bruce and I would remember this, and Jonathan may too, he can chime in. I remember seeing the signs on the damn gas stations. Cornahall. 
It didn't sell all that well, probably because of the marketing flub there. We now know it is, uh, what is it, E85? Yeah. It's just remarketed Cornahall, folks. Yeah, and I know I'm showing my age, and I'm waiting for fur to pop up in the chat here. Yeah, yeah, you usually do, you know. But no, E85 is made from corn. So in this post-apocalypse society, you know full well. It's like, yeah, we can make corn into fuel, corn into fuel, and they'll be looking, you use my corn to run your, you know, generator, I will shoot you. That is food, <laughs> not fuel. <laughs> Go get your bike and start pedaling because you're not using my dinner. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, down the line, they might go back to ethanol. But, yeah, they would have to find all new ways. And biodiesel is one of them. And biodiesel, one of the best fuels for biodiesel is kitchen grease. Beef drippings, used fry oil, you know, all that stuff that can that's that's biodiesel. And I, I'm I'm not too keen on the on the the specifics of it, but yeah, it's it I remember coming out a couple of years ago. You don't just take it and put it immediately into your gas in, into your gas tank. It has to go through a process. Oh no, I'm sure there's a yeah, a filtration process. Yeah, because I don't want to be running in it. No, it's not a filtration process. They actually they actually break it down. They call it a reactor. It's it's it breaks it down chemically so that it's a little bit better. If you had pure um, I mean before it became the the kitchen grease, if you had uh pure uh, uh, uh oil, like Crisco oil, whatever in the bottle. Yeah. That could be used as biodiesel straight up. Yeah, like sunflower. Right, but that stuff's going to be gone because that's food. I caught this bird. I'm frying this bird. <laughs> you are not running your car with what I'm making my fried chicken with. Yeah. You put it on your salad, it's, it's calories. Yeah, yeah. It goes into your cake mix. Yeah, that too, yeah. Well, I, I think... Yeah, basic foods are going to be the thing. Okay, I killed this meat. I'm going to put it on a spit and over a fire. I think as time goes on, people will start going back to making. You're not going to be having people making pies right away. At the most, they're going to be eating, you know, just the beef and the berries. And yeah, in time, because with wheat, you have to grind it. So you got to either do the mortar and pestle, or with technology, you can build a mill to grind it. Like, you know, mill on the edge of a river and the water, you know, turns the wheel and crushes the grain, you know, make flour. But yeah, you're going to have very bare bones meals during the first couple years after an apocalypse. You're not going to be having a chili cook-off. You're not going to be having a pie eating contest. No, it's going to be very bare bones, you know, kind of like how I do with a bachelor, as a bad, living as a bachelor. Yeah, very bare bones cooking. Now, now, Trav, what what is conspicuously missing from from this scenario? So you mean the different types of groups? Yeah. Oh God. Let me go back to the chart here so I can look down. Oh, God, mother rat. Here it is. Let's see: farming groups, city communities, auto gypsies. Yeah, we got to find a different name for that. Just gypsy, gypsy to the Romani is like the N word. That that that's a bad note. I understand. Well, I understand. Back when Rich wrote this, yeah. Now, no, we're 
Auto Nomads. There we go. Let's try Car Nomads. Okay. The Car Nomads, Devasiers, Vigilantes, Annie Techies, Wolf Sheep. I'm looking to see that everything's covered here. I don't really... Military and government, Trav. There's nothing left. Well, yeah, everybody, it's all self-rule. Don't you think that's a little odd? Well, because in this world, it's the whole might makes right. What was it that Mao Zedong said? The po power comes from the barrel of a gun. For those of you who don't know who Mao Zedong is, he, he was the uh, communist Chinese leader back in, I think, the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and that was his phrase. Power comes from the barrel of a gun. You're not going to have any type of governments. Most of these governments of these folks are going to be, I'm the, I'm the alpha male here. I'm the guy with the big gun. I'm the guy that has the, the necessary things that you're going to need to, they're not going to come up with, oh, we have our city council meeting every week. No. Most of these societies are going to be, in the beginning, quite totalitarian and dictatorial. And then the might, as the, the societies and villages and towns grow, then they're going to have, okay, mayor, city council type thing, or just the tribal elders, or, you know. But yeah, I think Rich just sort of lumped it in that these groups all have the one leader. And just the military was the militia of whatever settlement. Whoever could pick up a gun, you're, you're, you're in. There, there's the enemy. Fire him. Just keep in mind that Fort Bragg, North Carolina, houses 46,000 active, active duty soldiers. Okay. Okay. Assuming that only 15% of them survive, that's almost 7,000 soldiers. Okay. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good militia. I think that, you know, it would not be outside the realm of possibility of them to say, we're just going to declare martial law. We are the United States, and we're going to start basically taking over the surrounding state and working our way to Washington. This is not that far. Yeah, North Carolina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, okay, I, I, see, I see what you're getting at. Militias. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, they see militia, yeah, usually... Militia, you hear militia and you'd think more the survivalists. Yeah, rich, well, you put reborn Americans, but that was more the people that had the antiquated mindset. But, I, okay, I, I think I know why he didn't put that in. Remember, this was a thing for moral projects, so I think, because the moral, pro they were military that were in deep sleep and came out. I think he was trying to distance himself from that. I just think he didn't want to. He didn't want to do a military adventure game. He hasn't done. He doesn't do that in anything. You notice. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, the closest he gets to it is uh, uh, McGarn's Rangers <laughs> in Bureau Thirteen. Yeah. 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 Uh, and General uh, McAdams. I'm sorry, General McAdams Marauders. I believe. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Uh, so I'm just saying is that that's a group that's conspicuously missing from this game, and you know if you and if you want to add that to the game, that's legitimate, but uh, he it's it's not there. So um, and you could and you could get around it. You could say that hey, when when it came down to it, they all just basically went AWOL and went home. 
to be with their families and die in the arms of their loved ones. Maybe that's what happens. You know, you can justify it if you want to. But at the same time, if you want to say there's a couple military bases that are armed camps and they've got lots and lots of supplies and they're, they're, they've created new fiefdoms, well, those are good locations. These big U.S. military bases would be a great place to do that because they have the armament. They've got the, uh, you know, the defense facilities. They've got the supplies. They, you know, they're designed to be able to operate off grid. So, you know, yeah, they're definitely, you know, official fallout fallback points for the U.S. government. Well, because let's see here in Michigan, let's see the two military bases I know of is Selfridge Air National Guard Base near Mount Clemens, which if you have your hand, it'd be the first knuckle around the first knuckle on your thumb closest to your hand. And then sort of in the middle, just below where your middle and ring fingers are, is Camp Grayling. Those are the two that I know of here in Michigan. Those would be massively bolted down just like, okay, no, we're hungered down. We have the weapons, the technology, the resources, the infrastructure to get through this. We have medical facilities on these bases. So, yeah, they would be definitely go-to places and... You know, and you know also civilians would be flocking there because they know it's the military. They'll protect us, hopefully. You know, <laughs> again, if they just don't decide, you know what, we're on your own. No, you, you, you there's the door, you know. Well, the military is going to say, uh, what skills do you bring? <laughs> yeah. They're going to pick and choose. Well, I think if they do the fiefdom thing, yeah, they're going to do that. But I think just as far as the military in the beginning, they're going to have civilians and they're going to take them in until they realize, okay, we can't hold anymore. We're sorry. And then they got to deal with a bunch of civilians trying to get in. And unfortunately, things might get a little messy. But because you're going to just have more and more people wanting to flood. Yeah, they can always do the uh, old, uh, hey, we're going to take you to a, uh, uh, a refugee center. Everybody get into the back of these uh, uh, 18 wheelers. They drive, they, they drive them down the road about 150 miles, and then everybody jumps into Jeeps and drives back. If they're nice, they'll open the doors. Out of those surviving soldiers, how many become prowlers? Maybe one in ten still enough of a force of change or stability. Well, they're going to be shooting people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have two other groups that play into Rogue Force 70, and of course, the Fringeworthy, explorers from an alternate Earth, and now here to help the human survivors. Immune to the effects of Rogue 417, and see, this is, we've since changed this. Due to a minor biological difference in their immune system, these people are providing information material in the hopes of rebuilding the world. Of course, as you know, it's because the portal cleanses disease and impurity every time you go through and cleans and resets your genetic makeup. So the neurogenic virus, yeah, if you catch it, just go back through the portal onto the platform, you're clean. Yeah, it also bio-boosts your immune system, so you're probably resistant to it anyways. Yeah. And then you have the Bureau on this Earth. Immunized survivors of the government collapse still hunting the supernatural, with few realizing they are providing disaster aid and are a formidable force to be reckoned with. Some who know of their existence consider a Bureau agent a fantastic technological prize to be exploited. These secret agents are still in many communities disguised as normal survivors. And then you have the animals. Again, we did note that this neurogenic virus 
gave rats like a hive mind. Uh, let's see. Primates and some larger mammals have gained near-human intelligence levels. Many birds, rodents, and small animals have established a form of telepathic mass mind to communicate and protect themselves. Some of the survivors have bonded with these new animals and have formed effective survival communities. Other areas have been completely cleared of human populations and returned to the control of the animals. Uh, oh, a la after the bomb. Yes. The situation can go either way in the future. If these changes are passed on to offspring as a genetic trait, they may create a critical battle for human survival in a short number of years. Yeah, again, you know, it's the after the bomb game from Palladium Books. And so, yeah, it's a lot of higher mammals. Birds, rodents, primates, dogs, cats. Uh, let's see, what else? I think those are the major ones. So you're going to find a lot of... And now I'm reminded of the Rick and Morty scene where the kid, Morty, where Morty has the squirrel telepathy helmet. And he's there walking along with the helmet. And all of a sudden, Morty's hearing the squirrels are talking. Yes, we must watch these humans. Yes, yes, the, the time is coming when we are going to take over. And all of a sudden, Rick goes, wait a minute, you understood them. They know they can that you can hear them. You need to run now. <laughs> That's exactly what it reminded me of as soon as squirrels with a hive mind. <laughs> and you get that one human telepath that got in on their the, on their wi on their metal Wi-Fi. <laughs> they know, they know, abort the plan. Yeah. <laughs> or we can't let them escape. Yes. And then you end up like Dr. Doom after he attacks Squirrel Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Where she just sends squirrels in their yeah, or like the Meller, they know, let's go, let, it's time to go active. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where the war went hot, exactly. Um, okay, next, yeah, next they, uh, Rich put in how to make shelters, how to dig through old buildings and find things, and he had a, a, D, a D100 list of various finds, and the shelters he even did for the old TriTac system, uh, three skills that you gain as a Rogue Force 17 survivor. Shelter construction, shelter disguise, and search. And depending on how well you disguise and how well you search, he had percentage tables on what it is that you found. And then, as I said, the list. And yeah, it's, it could be anything from antibiotics to a large collection of books to a portable kerosene heater, portable home electric generator, Wood or machine tools or power tools. Yeah, he he was pretty thorough with this. And I'm reminded, if you if you wanted to do Rogue 417 in OGL D20, D20 Modern, D20 Apocalypse has very similar charts. So if you wanted to play this with that system, D20 Modern, Pathfinder, 3.0, 3.5, that book would be very good and would be a great supplement to Rogue 417. Yeah, basically from this point on to the end of the book is a great supplement as to what can you find out in the wasteland. Yep. <laughs> uh, no matter what your post-apocalyptic post game, this is a good supplement to have to play whatever game you're playing, whether it's zombie apocalypse or whether it's biological or nuclear or, or whatever version you, you have, you know, alien invasion. Uh, this is... This is a, a good supplement to have. So I, we, we recommend it for that alone. And, and you got to remember, folks, Rich was definitely a product of the Cold War era. So you know that that, that 
oh, you know, oh my God, the nukes. That was prevalent in, and Bruce, you know, he's a little older than I am. So he was raised more in that than say I was. I came into the tail end of the Cold War because that stuff ended in the 80s. And like I said, folks, less than a week ago, I just turned 51. I was born in 69. So you can definitely tell there's a bit, I mean, even in the 2001 version, I mean, Rich may have updated a little bit, but still that mindset was from somebody who, he was, I mean, he was neck high in it as a kid, all this stuff coming up about, you know, Soviets and Americas and, you know, all that. So you can, you can definitely tell in this, that mindset, of course, you know, newer, younger GMs can update it a little more. And as I said, there are other post-apocalyptic games that you could draw information from to try to help supplement this if you like. But Rich did a pretty fair job. And as I said, I'm looking at even, he has a list of what type of towns you you come across. There's a D100 uh, chart for what he calls town bonus, optional bonus chart for groups of survivors. Gain one roll per every 50 survivors in a small town. So let's say you have a town of 200. You can mix and match. You could randomly generate Let's see, if I were to roll, let's see, intact gas station, intact small oil refinery, intact airport, and D100 units of Rogue 417 vaccine. Hi, you just made up your own adventure. You know, what next town is your roving band of mechs and gunsmiths and teachers, you know, what do they find now as they're traveling the roads of the wastelands? And he even had a mapping function how to map on hex paper yeah but what was clever about this mapping thing that i haven't seen anywhere else is that you would start off with a single hex and you'd say what's here and then you start mapping the hexes around it and after you did that you would then say how do these hexes affect the central hex yeah, And you could either give it a bonus or it could take stuff away because if they're really bad, like they got like a, the, the guys that are like the crazies, and, um, the Mad Maxi type guys, okay? It would reduce the stability of your central hex. And yeah. so you, these things would inform each other as you worked your way further and further out. I'm reminded of Pathfinder's ultimate campaign where they rules for kingdom forming. Yes, you have your kingdom in this one hex, which is like 95 square miles, 12 miles from side to side. And so, yeah, then you explore the hex to the east of you. And, oh, it's a forest terrain, and you have to clear the hex. So I'm seeing very similar things between Rich's system and the stuff in Ultimate Campaign. And, yeah, you the other effects, the other hexes would affect you. Let's say you're in a forest hex, and you decide okay, this is my kingdom. Well, the next hex over is the shoreline of a massive lake. Well, that's going to affect it because you can get trade in, you know, via water travel, fishing. So yeah, that will help your community. Now, let's say on the other side of your hex, you have a radioactive ruin because there were nuclear exchanges here in this in, in this setting, it said in the timeline that China launched six nuclear missiles. Well, you're not going to be able to plant there. 
you're going to have disease as a problem, radiation sickness, uh, mutated animals and whatnot. So yeah, you got the sea travel here on one side, but then you got all the radioactive glowing stuff on the other side. So both of those are going to affect your new little settlement that you've come up with. Yeah, Jonathan, uh, you might also want to consider uh, you adding in some dark sun materials uh, with your D and D uh, your D and D campaign stuff that you you want to use as as stuff to riff off of. Yeah, Jonathan put in in chat here. I've been take, thinking of using those tables for a D and D campaign set in the equivalent of the Bronze Age collapse. Oh wow. Yeah, where everybody has to go back to hunter-gatherers, yeah. Oh, no, Dark Sun. I never played it, but I heard more than a few things. Um, that was Eric the Enabler, one of his favorite settings. And, I mean, he got hardcore. Also, uh, Carrie, one of my uh, my roommate's former girlfriend, she was big into Dark Sun, too. And I've heard nothing but good things about it, but just the changes they made. I think it's supposed to be post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it is, yeah. Something happened on the planet of Athos and just where halflings now become dinner, I think, you know, just. Ouch. Yeah. They're not a race. They're a food, they're a food group. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> no, the thing I was always told about was the thrycreen, the big toric, you know, you know, got the upper torso, then you got like the centaur body, but these massive toric praying mantises and just, one of the big things that Eric was so bent out of shape about was when they convert him to a medium-sized humanoid in like the expanded Psy handbook. Oh, there was some classic nerd rage there. <laughs> He's like, what the, what did they, they do to the Thrycreen? I'm like, they're small. They're large. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, he explained to me. It's like, no, they were like this and this. And I'm like, oh yeah, they really nerfed these. Yeah, <laughs> But no, Dark Sun would be another good post-apocalyptic setting. And yeah, you might be able to apply some some of the stuff because there's no current Dark Sun setting. Uh, Wizards hasn't done anything with it. It's all fan-based stuff. So, oh, let's see here. What other charts we got? Problems with running the village, with farming, crop yields, fruit production, making alcohol, alcohol conversion, barter charts Rich did as far as, I got... Um, no, I will. No, 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 I will not go there. Uh, Bruce, you're familiar with Knights of the Dinner Table, Jolly Blackburn. Uh huh. And the and the infamous saying that caused and it was about settlers of Catan. The infamous saying that made them change one of the commodities in that game. Oh, really? They changed it. They changed it. The commodity from wood to lumber because of this line that Jolly Blackburn wrote. Yeah. I know it. Okay, you know the <laughs> saying, yes. I know the saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. He says it, and he's looking at what? What did I say? What? And so and you, so you can tell older Catan players and people who just got into the game <laughs> because of Jolly Blackbird. And you know that, uh, who made Catan? I want to say Real Grand Games going, thanks a lot, Jolly. Yeah. Comedians are on the are are on the knife's edge of culture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, he has uh, mentioning things about currency and how you do. Yeah, gold, silver, dollar, silver, half dollar, silver, dime, and a penny. Okay, traders and what the quality of their stuff is. 
how to make gunpowder and how to load, you know, load your own rounds, which that's another survival skill because you can't just go to a local gun shop. And the thing I thought was most useful was uh, the charts he has for if you find food, can you preserve it? And how much of it can you preserve? You know, what's what's his likely going bad time? You know, and he's got this huge chart of that. Oh, the food, food spoilage, yeah. Yeah, that's very important. If you're trying to run any kind of an accurate... Uh, or even you know realistic having the smell of realism, the fact that you know I yeah. I got this can and it's only a little bit swollen. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Can I still eat it? Well, what if I cook it real good? You know, I don't know. Got a pressure cooker? Because <laughs> I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it with anything less than a pressure cooker. Oh yeah. Oh no. He's got all these charts here, and also fresh food and. The infamous entries at the end. Yeah. Uh, cannibalism. Yeah. Though not recommended, humans can be classified as an edible meat source. Oh, kind of like the halflings of Dark Sun. Exactly. Uh, fortunately, the reactions of survivors to any form of human cannibalism is minus five on the offender's charisma score. Oh, you think? Minus five? That's it? Wow, Rich was being nice there. <laughs> well, what that means in your game system can vary. Yeah, well, you know, it's that old saying. They're going to either have you over for dinner or they're going to have you over for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Ladyfingers. They taste like ladyfingers. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, we have gotten to the scenario part called Rogue Knight. Two to ten players that begins as society commences. So this is, you're in the thick of it. Yeah. The Rogue Force 17 is here. It is large and in charge, and you now have to deal. And again, I put this on my Facebook. Those of you who are Facebook friends of mine, and Bruce, you've seen this movie, Airplane 2. Yeah. We're a tad off course. Ma'am, there's something else you're not telling us. We're also out of coffee. And that's when that's when the mass pandemonium hits. Yes. Yeah, that you're you're in you're in that midst now where society has just begun to break down. Society realizes how badly screwed they are. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's not pretty. And so it Oh, the characters are a National Guard unit in protective suits with filter masks. Uh-huh. Gee, wonder what those look like. Oh, I'm going to keep this short. Like as as you all know, I work in an auto parts warehouse. They're buying every type of filter now. The N95 are the ones that you're supposed to have. The P100s are going out the door. Yeah, but just, I saw that and it just, and it was so funny, my, my warm-up act. Yeah, Bruce, you met a wild card. In the chat room last night, he goes, oh, come on, P100s are better. 100 is higher than 95, so they must work better. That's right. And I'm just looking at my laptop last. I'm just looking at my laptop last night, and I didn't know whether to rip into wild card on the air. I just said, "No, that that's actually funny." I thought about it. No, that's actually funny. I can see the logic that people actually are thinking like that. Yeah, UHF is better than VHF because it's higher on the spectrum. <laughs> uh, a National Guard unit in, in basically hazmat suits. They've been dropped in the inner city to guard a special cargo of two sealed crates. Their orders state, in no circumstances should the crates be opened under penalty of execution. The building is to be held until they're relieved in 12 to 24 hours. Yep. Okay. Um, 
Okay, and pretty much, yeah, they give a timeline of what everything is supposed to happen here, and and they, they go through everything, and then it tells how it ends and what happens. Now, the next scenario is for, you can add the Fringeworthy, it's called Warlord. Your National Guard squad and the Fringeworthy have been in central Ohio for a month. Work is involved organizing survivors and setting up hospitals and schools. Rich put, most survivors think I did as the new government's relief service. The real origin of the Fringeworthy is a secret among themselves and a small number of people they, they know who know they come from another Earth. And it's this this scenario is two years after everything went to hell in a handbasket. So, and this and th and I and I don't have my the big blue binder out, but it tells in there what is Rogue Four Seventeen Earth, and it comes out near Portsmouth, Ohio, which is in southern Ohio, I believe near the Ohio River. Like the Ohio West Virginia border. Yeah, if you look at Ohio, okay, it's basically uh, comes down to a point. Okay, it is west of that point. Columbus, North is Columbus, mostly burned, swept clean of population first year by the fallout from the Russian SS N seventeen missile. That okay, and then Huntington, West Virginia, is south of Portsmouth. Yeah, right across the, the the river from that point is Huntington. Yeah, he's got the map of I-52, I-23, Portsmouth, Ashland, the Ohio River. And apparently you are dealing with a, a warlord that has an iron grip on the city of Huntington. Right. Only his closest aides know he was a Marine major who broke orders and brought anti-rogue serum to Huntington. Yes. And, and those of you who are sports fans, Huntington is where Marshall University exists and we all know the story of the marshall university plane crash not everybody <laughs> outside the university which is you know the bit one of the biggest industries there okay the rest of the town is basically like you know when i was there in in the 80s was like basically clipped out of the 50s and and it's like they they just stuck there you know so okay yeah so you can uh, it probably hasn't changed much uh, in the time I, every time I've been there since, it's pretty much been still the same. Hmm. Okay. Just consider your classic small, you know, small. Well, town. Consider your classic town. You know, stuck in the fifties. Okay. Outside of the university. Yeah. Well, it's a college town then. Yeah. It, well, it is because the university is so big, but. Um, when is this taking this? Yeah, this takes place over a wide period of time. So you can imagine that the university is is deserted. Those people have gone home. So if they if they survived, they went home. So it's basically that the university becomes a non-issue. It's the people who live in Huntington that are still there. Apparently, there is a Russian jet that this warlord has access to. Yeah, because there's a there's a small airport outside of Huntington. So yeah, basically you're having to deal with this warlord and he has access to mili high tech military weaponry. And yeah, oh, 20 kiloton multiple warhead missile, 20 kilotons per warhead. Oh, great. <laughs> it, yeah, four warheads. So all together this goes off, that's 80 kilotons. Yeah, yeah, let's see. What a kiloton is what? Thousand tons worth of TNT explosive force? 
Well, that's what a kiloton is. How they measure it? Yeah, a kiloton is a thousand tons of TNT. Basically, we got four Nagas Nagasaki bombs. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Just. Ugh. Yeah. Ah. Uh, okay. And then we have afterwards. Uh, charts on how to make new viral diseases. And he has, Rich did, okay, the victim, the method, you know, the vector, and symptoms, transmission, the time, uh, how to lessen or speed up the incubation time, the lethality of it. Uh, if you get weakness, plant diseases, blights that, you know, kill crops and whatnot. And he did a simple example of an altered disease in an animal, is an animal specific. Yeah, chicken fever. Basically how this, and it goes from 25% chance untreated to kills to 55%. Basically weaponizing or it mutates is how he did it. Let's see, Rich had a massive of various automatic weapons. It, assuming your game doesn't have a, a big enough list. Right, right, yeah. Well, no, Rich had his weapons list all the time. He loved his weapon list. I, I'm not sure whether he loved it or he loved the people that, that gave them to him. But he always had new weapons in everything he produced. And then we have an area control sheet with the hexes. So you can plot out you know, okay, here's the center hex and here are the hexes around. And the, so he even has a, a printable sheet that you can, and even grants permission to copy this sheet for personal use. So yeah. And you can put population, the subsistence, the temperament, the use of tech, power tech, fuel reserve. Right, that whole, that whole mapping thing. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Rogue 417, the post-apocalyptic, can't, it's a whole campaign setting. It's not just, it has adventures, but I mean, it is a whole setting. And you could run it, you could run it as a Bureau 13 adventure. You could run it as just a post-apocalyptic game. You could run it as one of your fringeworthy worlds. I believe it's, or it doesn't tell what world you'd have to go to. I think it's in Portals 1. So it's like the first 50 portals on either side. It's, it's one of the alternates. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, but it, it's within the first... I mean, it's one of the Earth's alt, Earth Prime alternates. Oh, dear God, that's right. Yeah. I had to remember, you know, visually looking at the page, seeing in my mind's eye, I was like, oh, God, that's right. It's it's in the, it's in there with uh, Invasion USA. So, yeah, it, that'd be, it yes. would have been one of the first worlds that, you know, barring it being locked, it would have been one of the first worlds that Unita would have found. So, yeah, they'd be... Right. Yeah, they would be running... And it would raise the question of, is United's job to restore people who are in dire straits or not? You know, are they a charity? That's one of the questions that you'd have to raise in your campaign with yep. that. Jonathan, Uncle Richard and his list of weapons. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was something else I wanted to do. I mentioned that we were going to do tabletop gaming in the modern pandemic age. And I wrote up, and I said, I've, I've come up with this list over the past couple of days. And as a GM of the past easily 30 years, very few, and, and Bruce a little longer, very few things surprise us anymore unless it's in the 
what our players can think of after we spend weeks or months planning a scenario. But as far as how to run the games and everything, there are certain things that, you know, it's the old joke, well, we can't decide on what we want on our pizza and all that. No. Now with this, and, and again, it's not a dirty word. We're in a global pandemic. The World Health Organization has, it. no, this is a pandemic. We have countries that are locked down. Canada, which is 30 minutes to the east of me, has blocked all commercial uh, tourist traffic. The only things going over into Canada and coming back are basically semi-trucks. Trade. That, this is a global pandemic. We have social distancing. You are expected to keep at least six feet from other people. No more than 10 people in a group at a time. My job, I can't have more than 10 people in the lunchroom anymore. If there are 10 people in our lunchroom, you go find a conference room or something and spend your break or your lunch. So I have come up with tabletop gaming in the modern pandemic age. Now, this first one is the most important one because, and, and there's some medical information. I'm going to give a shout out here to Miss Miranda Johnson, dear friend of mine who works up at the Mid-Michigan Medical Center in Midland, Michigan. It is part of the University of Michigan Medical Network. She has been in the medical and psychiatric field for five years now, and she is yay close to getting her nursing degree. So I've been consulting with her over the past couple of weeks about all this because, you know, how Trav has peeps. She's one of my med peeps. Anyways, so this COVID-19 coronavirus, it is similar to the SARS virus we had a couple of years ago. It's of the same branch family of, of viruses. And so... That's why they are saying it is spread by fluids and you touch something and you're not, that's why they say, wash your hands, soapy, warm, soapy water for 20 seconds. Find a bit or a song from your favorite fandom and sing along in your head while you're washing up. Get under your nails. Scrub like you're doing surgery. Get every part of your hand in between the fingers, under your fingernails if you can. Then afterwards, use hand sanitizer. Most hand sanitizers are 70% alcohol. Get that real good up the wrists and everything. Carry hand sanitizer with you. I have a pump bottle in my living room. I got one in my coat, and I got one in my locker at work. So if we're going to be gaming in this age, the first thing we need to do, Skype and Discord are your friends. Virtual gaming. There are cameras. You can If you need to show pictures, oh, like I need to show this map, hold it up to the camera. Or take a picture of it and send it via Facebook Messenger or whatever. This is just like the old play-by-email things that used to be out there. But if you can't, if you don't need to get together, don't. Skype and Discord will work for now. I Skype in gamers, and I've had them as far away as Baltimore and Omaha and Chicago. So Skyping your role-playing games does work. Discord works really good, too. You can set up your own private chat for that. I believe Roll20 is another one that has it. I'm not sure Google Hangouts is still around, but if it is, you could try that. And Okay, they had a dice rolling app that you could, you know, it was like an overlay. Now, let's say, okay, this is the first best method. This is to avoid any possibility of passing this along. However, there are some people that don't have internet, Jeff and Josie for one. And also, you have to take into account that, let's face it, a lot of us geeks, gamers, and whatnot aren't in the best of health. 
There are some of us that are immune compromised, just diabetes, which means technically with diabetes, you are immune compromised. So if you are going to get together, these are things you need to do. Uh, basically, folks, you there's also the running joke that a lot of gamers, some of them have bad hygiene. Me and Bruce both had to deal with people in our years that were just, and I'm going to say this, they were butt funky. Just, there is a song by my buddy Rob Balder, the guy, you saw his booth at um, Gen Con. He does Earth World, the webcomic. He did kind of music beforehand. He did a song called Gamer Funk. We hear Gamer, this podcast, where as of now, Gamer Funk is done because the opposite is not good. What happens if you don't use hygiene? I'm going to be frank. It could kill people. We're drawing a line at Gamer Funk at this point, folks. Sterilize your gaming area. Disinfect your table and any hard chairs. If you like have hard plastic chairs, get Lysol spray, wipe them down completely, wipe off the top of your gaming table with, you know, like lemon disinfectant spray or whatever, and just, just everything. Obviously, like you have a couch or something, you really can't do that. But, you know, any hard surface, clean it down. No sharing of things. Don't share your dice. Don't share your pencils. Don't, you know, books. I mean, don't let people handle your books. Everybody brings sanitizer. You all use your own hand sanitizer. And food or drink. Don't have the communal bowl of Cheetos there. Everybody drink out of their own. Here, Tate, no, no. Let me have a hit of that. No. You can't be doing this anymore. If you have to sneeze, first of all, if you can, get away from the table but still sneeze into your elbow or into your shirt. Do not sneeze into your hands. And even if you do sneeze, still it's a good idea to do the wash and sanitize protocol. Try to have enough room for everybody in the group. Remember the government and the CDC say six feet is the good thing for social distancing. Try to have a big enough area where everybody can have a modicum of room because they'll be still sanitizing and all this, and so they can, you know, still try to have room for everybody. Players, and I'm going to shout out, and I put this in caps, mine in particular. Clean up after yourselves. The GM and or host don't need extra work. Take your trash and take it out to the dumpster or whatever, or put it in a bag, take it on, throw it out. Don't leave all your food and all that behind because that's extra work because you're going to have you're going to want to sanitize again after the game's over. And the most yeah, the most important thing here is we need to get rid of we gamers and it is a bad stereotype. I had a friend, Jeremy Caulfield, went to Gen Con. A funky gamer rubbed up against him and there was a film on this guy. Jeremy said it took five times to wash this off, and he couldn't get out of the way. My friend Jeremy is spina bifida, so he's in a wheelchair. It's not exactly he could, like, dodge this guy. No, this guy rubbed up against him, and there was just a film. Gamer funk ends as of this moment. If you're going to be gaming in this new age where we have a global pandemic, hygiene is absolutely important. I'm going to use some lyrics from Rob Balder's song. Burt's bees are not bees. Lava soap is not made of lava. And I'm going to use the, 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 the lyric here that rhymes. And if there's a problem, I can get it out later. Take a cloth to your junk so you don't have the gamer funk. If you don't want that in there, Bruce, we can edit it out later. But yeah, just, okay. But just, I'm, I'm half tempted to hawk Balder just uh, in the music. But 
uh, ronbalder.com. Anyways, he's a friend of mine. You know. So yeah, we need to, if you're going to game, virtual gaming is the best. Just set up Skype, Discord, Roll20, whatever. I'm sure there are other ones that I haven't mentioned. If you have that, use it. It works. But if you are going to get together, cleanliness and hygiene are the absolute important facets of this. Because a lot of us gamers are immune suppressed or one way or another. You have people with lupus. You got people with diabetes. You, your GM might be older. And so you need to keep it clean, keep it sanitized. If you are sick, don't come to the game. Skype in or your GM will just say, okay, you're doing this this week. Just we need to up our hygiene game on this. Because, yeah, going out is not an option. Michigan has no bars or restaurants or anything open anymore. Monday, March 16th, 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Governor Gretchen Whitmer shut down everything like gyms and bars and restaurants unless they have carryout. So there's not a lot of places to go out anymore. So you're going to be inside. You're going to want a game just to blow off steam. Skype and Discord, if not, follow the, the protocols I just said, and we should be fine. Obviously, if you are sick, don't come to the game. It is not that important. Stay home and get well. Even if it's just a cold or if you do get the flu or a stomach bug, don't come to the game. It is more important that you get healthy and stay healthy, especially now. Wow, that's the first time I've ever done a Trav rant on the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. This is weird. Usually I do it on my show. But yeah, I, I just had... Oh, well, no, I had to get this out because my roommate is immune compromised. He's got asthma, COPD, and he just got out of the hospital. So if I bring sick people here, that's bad to him. Let's say I have the game over at first. She's got to you know sterilize everything down and set everything up before we have the game. So she's got to make sure, because she's got two kids, eight and six. They're off of school for a month because Michigan, all Michigan schools have been shut down for a month. So yes, please follow all of this. There. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Had to be done. Tension breaker. All right. Well, great. Okay, so uh, we don't, we're running out of time, so we won't be able to discuss the, this last thing. But I, I do want to recommend that uh, you get everyone who likes this supplement, who's interested in it, also check out TriTax Cloisters, which also take place after a post-apocalyptic disaster, which is nuclear war. But the fact is, is that they go through the same kind of issues, and they have a really nice map yes. of Michigan. Which can serve as a really, which you can also use as your map in uh, Rogue Four Seventeen. So you wouldn't be able to do the uh, uh, the adventure taking place with uh, the Warlord of Huntington, but the other things would probably work just fine. And of course, all the charts would work, and they have nice groupings of warlords and other types of people that you might have to deal with. So definitely check that out as a additional uh, resource for this particular game uh, campaign setting. So 
Thanks everybody for listening to us. We hope that you, you've taken this uh, as a uh, fun thing to do while you're dealing with the very serious reality that Trav just uh, talked about. And we hope to see all of you on the other side uh, with uh, a happy, healthy, and continuing to play all the games we love. And we're going to have more for you, but you're going to have to wait until next week. So until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.